In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome back to the Garlic Marketing Show. I'm Garlic here. And today we are going to talk about the importance of building your business to sell it. It's important for your marketing. It's so important to understand the criteria of it, even if you don't want to sell, to make it more effective. Because, you know, why would you buy your business right now is always a good question to ask. Because if you wouldn't, then you probably have a problem. But before we get started with my incredible guest, John Warlow, this is brought to you by StoryCruise.com. You know, if you're looking to grow your business, if you're looking to sell your business, your customer stories are your number one tool. If you want to learn how to collect video case stories, how to use them to grow your business, just go to storycruise.com slash case story. Mr. John Warlow, author of Built to Sell, author of The Automatic Customer, author of The Art of Selling Your Business, all fantastic books I suggest, and the host of the Built to Sell radio podcast. Thank you for being on. You do a lot. Hey, I, it's, <laughs> it's great to be with you. I, um, cool. So real quick, because all these stories are in there, but how did you get into the business of helping people sell their business? Well, it goes back to a fateful meeting I had, uh, with a guy named Perry Miele. So Perry's a Toronto based M&A guy. And, uh, I went to him thinking I was sitting on a gold mine. I was running a company, professional services business. Uh, we did quantitative market research, we had amazing clients. We were working with Bank of America and Google and Apple and you know, just an absolute like, you know, Reader's Digest, good housekeeping, seal approval list of clients. And so I thought I was sitting on a gold mine. I thought, you know, someone was going to buy this business for my client list. And so I went to see Perry and he said, so you do the market research? And, and I said, yeah, I want to sell it. What do you think it's worth? And I was kind of rubbing my hands together thinking, man, it's going to be like a huge number. And, and he's like, well, depends on the answer to the couple of questions. And at the time, Ian, we were probably doing like five or six million in revenue, you know, wow. classic professional services, you know, 25% profit margin. So I thought, you know, this is going to be a valuable company. And Perry says, okay, well, who does the research? And I said, well, it's my research guys. And, and he said, okay, you're not involved in the research. I'm like, okay, sure. I'm involved a little bit. And he said, all right, so you're doing some of the research. Said, Who does the selling? Uh, and I said, well, I guess I do some of the selling. It's like these great big clients. Right. And he said, all right, so, so you got a research company, you're doing some of the research and you're doing all the selling. Is that right? And uh, I said, yep. And he said, all right, I got bad news. There's, there's nothing I can sell here. Your business mm. is, is worthless. And, uh, you know, for I can remember the day. To, it this goes back 20, 20 years, and I can remember the day like it was yesterday, because it was like a punch in the gut, right? To be told that your baby was the ugliest in the door in the maternity wing or whatever. <laughs> and uh, and again, I walked in there thinking someone's going to buy my client list, and and I left realizing I had a ton of work to do. So I, you know, we we transformed that business over a bunch of years. 
uh, moved it to a subscription model, niche down, all the stuff you talk to to your customers about and your listeners about all the time. Uh, ultimately, it was acquired by a public company, uh, New York Stock Exchange listed company, but it never would have happened had we not been kind of punched in the mouth early and told that the thing wasn't wasn't sellable the way it was structured. And so that kicked off for me a journey of just personal learning and ultimately led to the books and, and everything that we do at Valuebler. Love it. And yeah, I mean, built to sell, obviously what I love about it too, and I think everyone should read it regardless is it's a story and you tell a story in it and it's easy to remember the story. There's a lot of criteria. There's emotional response instead of just saying, okay, you got to go in, you got to fix sales. You got to take yourself out of the sales role. You got to do this, 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 it, it shows what's happening. It kind of, you know, mimics a lot of your story and it talks about agencies. So if you're an agency, it's pretty much an agency's life. You know, I'm like, Oh, that feels so familiar. Like half that <laughs> stuff. I'm like, uh, that's good. It's good copy. Um, but you know, when it comes to growing, you know, maybe someone says, Hey, I'm not a $5 million company. I'll think about doing what John did at $5 million. Or someone's like, you know what? I want to grow to a hundred million dollars. I'm not going to think of building to sell. Why should someone start doing that right now, regardless? Yeah, look, it gives you all the options. If you've got a business that can thrive without you personally, you've got like the ultimate poker hand in the game of life, right? You can continue to run your business and grow it beyond your personal involvement because you're not putting a ceiling onto it. It's uh, it's capacity. Equally, you can bring in... Uh, to IC, a second in command and let them run the day-to-day. You can sell half of your business to a private equity group, many of which are rolling up agencies right now. Uh, or you can sell it to the highest bidder. All of that is possible if it can thrive without you. And so that's the essence of what we talk about is I don't like when I do it, like if I'll do a speech to a group of entrepreneurs, if I've got a hundred business owners in the room and if I start off and saying, okay, how many of you want to sell your business? I might get one hand to go up out of a hundred. And then I said, let me ask you a second question. How many of you would like to know that you could sell your business? And like every hand goes up, right? Like <laughs> we get our 401k, you get like the house down the street sells from you. It doesn't mean you want to sell your house to retire. It means that it's kind of nice to know that the value of your assets is going up. And in the same way, I think everybody would like to know, yeah, I'd love to know that I could sell. I don't want to sell, but I'd love to know if I could. And again, the prerequisite for that is can your business succeed without you? And if the answer to that is yes, then you've got a sellable company. I'm going to talk a little about that criteria, but another point of it is, I mean, we go into business, right? For freedom. (laughs) Uh, And if it can't operate without you, and I know this, you don't have much freedom. Uh, (laughs) uh, You're on vacations, thinking about business, you're on vacations working. Um, And so it does buy that freedom. It also buys the ability to focus on what you're best at. What are the criteria? How do you go about figuring out what's the first step? And obviously you can go to builttosell.com. You've got all the books, you've got some free gifts on there, but you know, I want I want it from you. What's the first thing that someone should do to start down this path? I think you got to figure out your TVR. TVR stands for teachable, valuable, repeatable. And in particular, a professional services company like an agency or a law firm or anything that's selling time or, you know, intellectual property, you got to figure out your TVR. So throw up all of the services that you provide right now on a whiteboard and and score them out of 10 on how teachable they are to employees, how valuable that service is coming from you. And the opposite of valuable is commodity. 
So if it's a commoditized service, lots of people offer, give it a zero. If it's really unique and you're highly differentiated offering, give me a 10. And then repeatable, which is basically how often does the customer have to replenish their supply, repeat purchase from you. And what you're looking for is the service or product that scores the highest on those three attributes. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. There's a company called the School of Photography Business. They're based in Danbury, England. And they're in the photography business, right? Weddings and t-ball, you know, rugby teams, et cetera. They identified that if all they did was focus on taking school photographs, those photographs as, as parents, we want to document our kids kind of progress through school. If all they did was focus on that, it met the three criteria. Number one, it was teachable. They could hire a young photographer. You didn't need to hire some very fancy photographer mm. to take the school photograph, right? You could hire a young photographer. It was also teachable because they had a formula, right? Tall kids in the back, short kids in the front. They gave like stuffed animals to the, you know, the, the photographers or the kids with little kids would laugh. It was valuable because the person who makes the decision on which school photograph company to bring in is the headmaster of the school. And what do they care about? They care about the kids getting in and out of the classroom in eight minutes in, in very quickly. And so the school photograph company came up with this eight minute formula, which was basically like get in and out quickly and back to school, back to learning. So it was valuable and, and differentiated. They had the eight minute formula. And then it was repeatable because we as parents always want the photograph, right? We want to document our kids' progress every year. And so the, the school photography company keeps getting brought in every year by the same schools. That's a sellable company. It's a sellable company, even though most photographers, professional photographers are not sellable. Those businesses are not sellable because mm -hmm. they're doing too many things. One day they're doing a wedding, then they're doing a corporate event, then they're doing you know a, a food layout for a magazine. There's, there's nothing scalable there because every project's different. At the school photography business, they focused on one thing, niche down just to schools, and they figured out their TVR, teachable, valuable, repeatable. I have a lot of videographers. We are, I have video agency, but I also teach videographers. And I see that all the time, you know, where they, they, they focus on the things that aren't valuable, that they can't teach, that, you know, it is possibly repeatable, but not without them. Um, and, you know, to that point, the photography, it, they, they weren't selling that they had the best cameras. They weren't selling that they had the best cameramen or women. They weren't selling that they took the most beautiful pictures. They sold the valuable part, that eight minute part. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love that. And, and here's the thing. I, I agree. I think they've done a great job. Um, and, and it's about, you know, you raise a really interesting point, Ian, where you're talking about the fact that things that are most valuable are hard to teach, right? That, mm -hmm. that that's a very common objection that I hear from professionals, you know, like what I do, I can't teach someone to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like high-end litigation as a, at a law firm or like- really, You read my mind. <laughs> yeah, like, like really incredible, like graphic design, like I, you know, the most beautiful brochure. Like I can't teach someone. It's taken me 30 years to learn. Here's my advice. Here's what most people do in this scenario. Most professionals try to figure out how to teach their most valuable service. So they start with what's really, really, really valuable in the eyes of customers, and they try to make it teachable. And that's almost always a fool's errand. It's, it's virtually impossible because guess what? The reason you, you become an expert at delivering that service over 25 years, 
nine women can't have a baby in one month, right? Like some things just take time. You have to let them <laughs> marinate, right? You have to let them, you know, people need time to digest and metabolize. So instead of taking the most valuable thing you do and making it teachable, which is almost always a mistake, do the opposite. Find something that you offer, which is teachable, then make it different. Make it differentiated. Figure out your eight-minute formula. Take something that's teachable, something mundane. In the, and if you use photography as an example or videography as an example, find something that you can teach a young videographer to do and then add a layer of differentiation. I'll give you an example. So uh, there's a guy named Darren Root who is, had an accounting firm right? He went through the process of looking at all his services, technology, consulting, bookkeeping, audits, all corporate finance, M&A, like all the stuff accountants do, all of like a bunch of hodgepodge of stuff. And he scored them all teachable, valuable, repeatable. And then he discovered that the things that were most teachable were like doing bank reconciliations, uh, doing credit card statements, checking the bank statement, all this kind of like very, very commoditized stuff, but highly teachable. Mm -hmm. So he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bundle this stuff up and I'm going to brand it boss. Boss stands for the back office support system. And he's branded it like a thing. And he's gone to all of his customers, most of whom are medical practices, chiropractors, dentists, doctors, et cetera. And he said to them, look, right now you're paying 60, 70, $80,000 a year for a office manager to do 30% of a day's job right? It's not a full-time job, but you've got to pay someone to do it because you want to be doing the dental work. Tell you what, buy the boss system for 800 bucks a month and we'll handle your entire back office for you. The boss system will do your bank reconciliations, it'll do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's branded it like a thing and he's differentiated it. So he's taken what is teachable and made it unique in the eyes of his, his, pay, his uh, customers who are, again, doctors, dentists, uh, uh, chiropractors who have a specific need for a back office support person, but don't want to pay for it. And, and that's what I mean by taking something that's teachable and, and sort of plussing it with a, a, a degree of differentiation. Yeah, it's simple, but why is it so difficult to do this? Why is it, you know, what's keeping every business from doing this? I think it's ego. Like, I think we are, we are wired to get the, the endorphin rush of a client who says, man, Ian, you nailed it. That was awesome. I love your work. I think you're amazing. You're so talented. You're so creative. You're such a great problem solver. And that showers us and fills our ego and showers us with, with warm and fuzzy vibes, right? And it's like an adrenaline drip to nowhere. It's the worst thing that you can possibly do because that's of course just making your client more and more and more loyal to you. I remember where I learned this. I 20 years ago, I was uh, I was invited to this thing called the Birthing of Giants. Can you imagine a more pretentious name for an event? <laughs> the, the Birthing of Giants. It was so pretentious. But anyways, it was a great event. It was like at, at the MIT Exec Ed Camp, you know, Campus, really fancy schmancy thing. And there were 60 of us around the room. And again, this goes back 20 years. And uh, in one, so we had great speakers. Pat Lynchoni came and talked about teamwork. Jack Stack came and talked about, uh, you know, like open book management, all these like luminaries at the time. In walks this guy named Watkins, Steve Watkins. And I'd never heard of him, but I swear I'll never forget his conversation. He walks in, he says, great. How many of you in the room 
are involved in selling and marketing your product and service. And like all of us, like little nine-year-old schoolgirls, like raised our hands up in the air saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. Like all of us, all the hands went in the air, right? And, uh, and then he says, okay, put your hands down. He says, look, here's the thing. You've got all of the right skills, but you're selling the wrong product. You got to hire salespeople to sell your product or your service. Your company is your most important product. You should invest all of your sales and marketing oh. talents into promoting your company. It's the most important product, not your service. And like, I tell you, Ian, it was like I'd been given a glimpse into the professional game and realized that I'd been playing amateur ball for a long time. I was blown away by that. And, and I think we somehow need to train ourselves to get the same adrenaline rush by creating a marketing tactic or a marketing funnel that helps our company as opposed to our client. And that mm. requires us to, 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 to kind of put our ego in the, in the closet and, and, and somehow find fulfillment from knowing you're building a valuable asset as opposed to serving a client and pleasing them. That's a really tough, especially for creative people, left brain people, people who just want that validation really tough. I mean, I see it all the time. It's so tough. And it, because I, I get that with clients too, you know, they're like, Oh, I don't have time. They hire us for marketing. We go shoot the videos. You know, we will do their customer story videos. All they have to do is go, okay, that's good. Approve it. And we put it out there and they disappear. And they're like, I don't have time for this. And like, to your point, they just don't make the time. How hmm. did you make that shift? That's really interesting. Yeah, I, it's funny. It is good. Again, this goes back a long time. So I'm just trying yeah. to remember what, what, the, what the actual triggering event was. I think you know, certainly the Perry conversation that I referenced in the beginning of our conversation mm -hmm. was a pretty big kick in the teeth. That was like, a, you know, I kind of came away from that thinking if, if, if we can't make this shift, I don't want to own this business. Like, I, I don't want to just run on a hamster wheel here. Like, I'd rather, I'd rather close up shop and start another company that I could build some long-term value in than, than kind of pulling up 20 years from now and, and, and still have not a, a valuable company. And again, that's not the same decision. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people read the same fork in the road. They have their, their Perry moment, their Perry conversation. And, and they're like, you know what? I'm good. I, you know, I make a couple hundred grand profit. I can, you know, everything's great. Like I've got a couple of employees. I don't need a big fancy office. I don't need to create some legacy. I've got, you know, all my bills are paid. I can run my car through my company. I'm good. Mm -hmm. And that's a totally legitimate decision. Uh, and I think that's and a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs do that. And they come to the realization that they want to run a lifestyle business and for them, yeah. their business really is a job and that's okay. Yep. Uh, and then there's the other side of the camp that says, you know what, I really want to build something of value and I'm going to be, I'm going to make some of these harder decisions. So I, I can't give you a specific moment in time, Ian, but I, I think it was probably around that conversation with, uh, with, with Perry that caused me to say, you know what, I actually do want to build something of value. Gino Wickman's been on a few times and we talk about, you know, the difference between an entrepreneur and, you know, self-employed. And it, it seems like, you know, to a lot of people, it's the same thing, but it's very two different things. An entrepreneur is building something of value, self-employed, and it's fine to be self-employed. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but if you decide you want to build something of value, you've got to pull yourself out of it. And then now that something that you can sell that you, the TVR thing, like the eight minutes that mm-hmm. you're talking about now, you know, in a marketing world, I always like to test something first before building out and like, go, let's go sell it first and then build it, you know, and then do it and figure out what people want and what works. Is that what you suggest doing? And if so, how do you suggest testing that out? Yeah, look, I, I, I'm a big believer in going to your C customers first. I think your A's and your B's, like if you if you cohort your customers, A's, B's, and C's, A's are your best customers, your B's are your on-again, off-agains, and your C's are your long shots, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in, in fleshing out the offering, in particular if you're going to, for example, move from project-based to a subscription-based offering. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of going to your C's with a fleshed-out offering. And I'm a big believer in productizing. And this is something that, that, uh, that we talk a lot about is this idea of like, make it look like a thing, trademark it, price it, name it, have steps in your process. So it, it feels like a tangible service. And once you do that, like, th- you know, throw a PowerPoint together, laminate it, if you want to make it feel real and go talk to customers about that service. And I think you'll find that your C's will give you some real world feedback. If you get your C's to buy it, my guess is that your B's and A's will follow suit. Your A's love you so much that if you say to them, look, I've, you know, I've done some soul searching and I think the best way we can serve you is moving you to this plan. They're going to nod up and down and say, okay, great. That sounds fantastic because they love you. The, the real trick I think is going to the C's and having them uh, react to it. And you, you get some of the at-bats out of the way early where you kind of fumble through it and you're not wasting those at-bats on your best customers. I love that. I love that idea because, you know, I, I'm always of, like, I like to even test completely cold, but mm. that, then you have the, an authoritative piece to overcome. But this, that's a great mix, right? It's not quite cold. So you're not, not a complete lack of trust, but enough lack of trust or <laughs> to, to give you feedback and you go, nah, I'm not doing that. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's crazy interesting. And, and you've got into subscription models. Now, obviously you wrote the automatic customer, another awesome book. How long ago did you write that book? Cause that was at the beginning of all this, wasn't it? Yeah, you know what? I screwed up. Uh, I wrote Built to Sell and and kind of mentioned very briefly the, the idea of recurring revenue. But then soon after, we launched Value Builder, where we help entrepreneurs improve the value of the company. And what we re- came to realize that recurring revenue is like is like crack for acquirers. They love recurring <laughs> revenue. It's just like their juice, right? And I again I mentioned it in Built to Sell, but I had not given it the same degree of focus that I should have. And so when the automatic customer, it's just an entire book about how do you take a, a business that and maybe it's a service business, uh, you know, a manufacturing business, retail business, and make it into a recurring revenue model. And, and that, that was the focus in that book. And um, is there a business that you've seen that can't find a recurring revenue model that shouldn't? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Law firms are tough, right? Because okay. there's such amount of, of inertia associated with hourly billing that if you rock up and say, we don't do hourly billing, we do subscription-based. Like a lot of people would be like, yeah, that's not the way it works. And so there's a lot of, of, um, of inertia in, in law. I think, 
you know, one of my, one of my dear friends who's since passed away uh, tragically is a guy named Dan Taylor. And he built, uh, he was a lawyer and he was in the divorce law uh, sector of divorce law. And he was just getting beaten down by divorce law. Like it was horrible, such acrimonious, you know, situations, husband and wife breaking up and it was horrible. And, and he realized that in these litigation suits, most of the money went to the lawyers. Like they were kind of pissing away tons and tons of money and not really getting a fair deal for either side. It was horrible. And so he decided to basically sell his IP, which was really his ability to bring the two parties together in a mediation. And he, he called it the divorce, divorce mediation toolkit. And he built a subscription offering where people, lawyers who do divorce work can subscribe. And it was a very, it was a great success and it got him out of being a lawyer. He no longer, before he passed, actually did client work. He was just offering the divorce mediation toolkit. And, and so look, I, you know, that's a pretty big transformation from a for a lawyer to get their head around from, you know, being someone who just bills by the hour to suddenly create some IP, a toolkit, then license it to other lawyers. Like that's a big step. So in some industries, it's much simpler, right? Like if you're a a heating and air conditioning company and you install furnaces, well, it's not that big of a leap to say, you know what, you should probably offer like a service contract where you go in every three months and change out the furnace filters. Like that's a pretty easy evolution for an HVAC company. Law firms can be tough, but I, I can be done. And, and it doesn't mean you have to necessarily move your entire business to subscription. I think even if you get like 10 or 15% of your revenue from recurring sources, you get something called the Trojan horse effect, which is effectively the fact that somebody has subscribed to your product or service makes them a lot more likely to buy your other products and services. It's because you have an existing relationship, right? Like they have your credit card, they know who you are, you've got email, like permission to email, communicate with them. There's a, you know, you talk about awareness, there's trust already built. And so, that's what you get from even having 10 or 15% of your revenue coming from subscription. Yeah. And it, it is nice. I mean, we have subscription businesses in here and it is nice to all of a sudden you get that ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I mean, you're still serving the people, but it's not like, it, it's not like you've got to go out and sell something all brand new every time. You've got, remember the, remember the old AOL, you've got mail and it was an <laughs> audiogram. It's like now you've got money. <laughs> yeah. it, it is. That's awesome. And and so let's talk a little bit about Value Builder, what you all do for businesses, how you work through it. Because, you know, I think it's a super interesting thing that I think most businesses need something along this lines. And obviously you've got experience in it, but I want to hear a little bit more about how you all work. Yeah. So it's called the Value Builder System. We've worked with something like 65,000 business owners now around the world. We help a few. them improve. Yeah, we help them improve the value of their company uh, leading up to an exit. And, and again, the average business that comes to us gets a score out of 59 on the value builder questionnaire, which is this like diagnostic questionnaire we use. It's possible 100. Those businesses are trading at about 3.5 times pre-tax profit. When we look at those that go through our system and graduate with a score of 90 or greater, so these would be our best in class performers, those businesses are trading at 7.1 times pre-tax profit. So more than double. And they're also three times more likely to get an offer than the average scoring business. So, you know, again, going back to something we were talking about earlier, 
you know, you don't have to want to sell your company to go through Value Builder. I think what you should do is want to have a more valuable company and getting your score up to 90 will give you a fair degree of confidence that you do have a more valuable company and that you will be courted. And the nice thing about being courted, uh, being approached for, by acquirers is you're in the catbird seat, right? Like you've got negotiation leverage, right? When you're being accorded and about a third of value builder entrepreneurs who have scored a, a 90 or greater have had a written offer to buy their business in the last 12 months. Whereas it's it, for the average business, it's around 11%. So you're almost three times more likely to get a written offer. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's available through a network of uh, like almost a thousand, what we call certified value builders, which are our, uh, our, our, our professionals who implement the value builder system around the world to their customers. So that's, uh, yeah, that's valuable. I love it. And, you know, and I, I think another thing is, you know, we've had uh, Vinny Fisher on fully accountable and we were talking about profitability mm-hmm. and in how much to charge. And, you know, the fact is that 75% of entrepreneurs, personal wealth, is trapped in their business. So huge. if you 3X your your profit, you are 3Xing your personal wealth, 300%. That's an amazing, amazing number to think about because we're all like, well, how am I gonna charge a little bit more and how am I gonna do this? And it's like, hey, let's, let's go through this. And I think it's a big, big shift for people, um, but it's an important one. Once you go through that TVR model, where do you see the next biggest obstacle in people going through this and getting to that higher valuation. Yeah, it's, it's usually coming up with their recurring revenue model. That's the next uh, thing because TBR, you wanna pick something that customers have a recurring need for, but that's just the first step. It's the raw material for a subscription company. You need to then take that need and formulate your recurring revenue model. And here, I think the most important step that most entrepreneurs miss in trying to create a recurring revenue model is to first niche down. And again, I know I'm preaching to the choir and even saying that to you, but the idea is that to try to create a subscription company for all of your customers is almost always going to create a diluted milk toast, plain vanilla recurring revenue model that nobody wants to buy. It's just too diluted. If you're trying to be all things to all people, instead, what I want you to do is cohort or segment your customers into their reasons for buying from you. And I think what you'll find is that there are homogeneous segments and their triggering behavior, what triggered them to buy from you is different. And I'll give you my favorite example is uh, from H. Bloom. H. Bloom are the guys who sell flowers on subscription, but they don't sell flowers to everybody. They looked at all the people who buy flowers. You know, Most of us buy them on Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, they looked at weddings and funerals and graduation and all the stuff, the reasons we buy flowers. And they looked at all the customers and they, again, their triggering events. And they discovered that one constituency, really strange, very small proportion of people who buy flowers are hotels. And you may say, well, why does a hotel buy a flower? Well, if you show up at the Ritz-Carlton in Beverly Hills, guess what? There's a fresh bouquet of flowers there on the reception table to give the Ritz-Carlton this sort of very prestigious image. Well, it turns out a lot of hotels do that. And instead of trying to create a subscription company for all people who buy flowers, H. Bloom said, we're just going to sell flower subscriptions to hotels who frankly have better things to do with their time than going replenishing the old flowers, getting rid of the new. Yeah. 
they'd rather be selling hotel rooms and running a hotel. And so that's what H. Bloom does is they sell flowers to hotels. And so I don't think they would have come up with nearly as compelling an offering had they tried to build a subscription for all people who buy flowers. Because uh, I think of myself as a pretty good husband, but I'm not buying flowers for my wife every week. Like it's a, you know, like it's a more sporadic occasion, right? I think yeah. of myself as a decent son, but I'm not doing the same thing for my mom either, right? It's a Mother's Day <laughs> thing. But hotels do it every day. So look, I think the issue is we try to boil the ocean and try to come up with subscriptions for all of our customers. It's almost always going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, it's a great thing. And so find the entrepreneur, like product developers, like, okay, we've got divorce attorneys here. Why don't they get like a flower subscription model? (laughs) (laughs) Here, try this first. It's a lot cheaper. These flowers are $200 a week. It's going to be a lot more, a lot cheaper. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good idea. (laughs) Oh man, that is fantastic. I, I mean, I love subscription models. I think they're fantastic. And like, it's like you're talking and I'm like trying to focus because I'm like, oh, this person could have this subscription model and this person can have this subscription model. Um, <laughs> uh, but this is great, uh, John. And um, tell me a little bit about the podcast. You know, who should be listening to it? Who's been on Built to Sell Radio? I know my friend Jason Swank has been on there, but yeah, yeah, I didn't know you knew Jason. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Regrettably, uh, we do it. We do it in for an episode every week. We've now done 300 episodes since 2015. Oh, the it's a very very specific show, so you either love it or hate it. It is we interview a different entrepreneur once a week, and we ask them about their exit. So, what triggered them to want to sell their company? What valuation they got? What the negotiation was like? What they would do over had they. To the, the negotiation to do over again and what life's been like after they've sold. And we've interviewed everyone from Jay Steinfeld, who sold blinds.com, $100 million company. Stephanie Breedlove sold, uh, sold, sold her company for uh, 40, 50, no, $54 million, some outlandish number. Rand Fishkin's been on the show, sold oh, Moz. Nice. You have lots of different people. And again, the, the, the key is that it's people who've sold a company. And it's so it's the kind of mechanics inside baseball around selling. So I think if you want to know how the movie ends, it's a fun show to listen to because effectively we listen, we talk about the last chapter in a business's journey and the harvest stage. And so that's, uh, that's Built to Sell Radio. Love it. Love it. So make sure to check that out. If you're looking to build a cell, valuebuilder.com. And where's the best place to follow you? Look, I think go to builttosell.com and there we put together some free gifts. Top right corner, you'll see a button that says free gifts. There's a chapter to the book. There's an eight-part video series. I've actually put together a checklist of subscription models you can use. And with the new book, The Art of Selling Your Business, there's a, a companion workbook. And so the workbook's there. It's all free. Uh, so just uh, builttosell.com uh, and then click on the free gifts button. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, John, this has been an amazing, amazing uh, conversation. A lot of fun. Uh, hopefully we'll have you back sometime when you're, you're maybe you're selling all this stuff again. <laughs> thanks again uh, for being good. on the show. This is good to be with you. Ian. 
And thank you all for listening to myself and John taking us on your journey. You know, make sure to check it out. I think everyone who owns a business, even if you're just starting a business, look at this stuff. It's amazing. It's easy reading. It's not your usual business books, but go through all this stuff. Chow John stuff. Mention that you're on the show. And thanks for taking us on your journey. This has been Ian Garlic and John Warlow and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video. You know it'll make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads, better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer? An agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. 